welcome to Taking Care of Business. I'm Jackie Mitchell. Are you content with your content? The new royal and business realm is is king content. Hmm. So is content really king? If that's the case, what is queen? We keep hearing about content all the time. So today we're going to find out what it is, how to make it work better for you, what are some of the common mistakes, lots of tips from our wonderful panel today. So let's talk about our first guest. He's a true adventurer in the multimedia business. Uh, He's the only male guest in the studio today, so I'm going to proclaim him king Few people in the Australian multimedia could claim such a diverse and accomplished CV as our guest Nick Place. At various stages of a 35-year career that started as a copy boy on the Melbourne afternoon broadsheet The Herald, those old enough to remember, Nick has worked in senior editorial and writing positions within newspapers, magazines, television, radio and the internet. He has covered international sporting events, edited many publications, been a film reviewer, a published author in both adult and children's books, and also a poet. He's a published poet. He's worked as a head writer and producer on commercial network television and sports coverage and even been responsible for editorial development of The Age Online, for which he was nominated for a Walkley Award. So this woman, we are in front of royalty here, a writer of page and screen and current director Director of Media Giants, Nick Place. Welcome to Taking Care of Business. <laughs> Thanks for not mentioning all the bad stuff. Well, well, that's all. That's that's all true, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is pretty much. Yeah. So, which um, awesome out of all, it is pretty impressive, isn't it? I mean, I could keep going on. So, if you <laughs> no, want to know a bit more about, about Nick Place, you can look him up on LinkedIn, <laughs> and you're there. Out of all that work that you did, it got me wondering. You obviously love writing. Where did that come from and how did you come to love writing? Was it in your genes or did you fall in love at a certain moment? Uh, I think I, I think it, it was from when I was really young. When I was actually like a really young kid, I started making my own newspapers of kind of family stuff with scandal and trauma of what was going on in the family. I think this is when I was like seven or eight or oh. ten, you know, so oh, I, I clearly had it in me somewhere at yeah. that point. And even by the time I got to year 12, I was loving creative writing and that part of English, which luckily was part of it. But, you know, I was really struggling with maths and was told science would always remain a mystery to me by my teacher and things like that. So, yeah, yeah my cards were marked pretty early. I was really lucky that I got that copy boy ship at the Herald because really, if you're a creative writer, there's really not a lot of avenues available to you. Um, And so I was really lucky. I was probably going to go to uni and get a Bachelor of Arts in English or something. And I guess I would have ended up an English teacher or something like that, which which could have been fine. Who knows? But, um, yeah, somehow the Herald saw something and plucked me out of a thousand applicants when I had screwed up every interview. I'm not being modest. I screwed up every interview that I'd done. How did you screw up? Oh, just by not knowing the answers to questions. Who's the Premier of Victoria? Who's the Deputy Premier? You know, I've got no idea. Winston Churchill. I was a surfer. I wasn't into politics and stuff. But um, (laughs) I actually think, I I think what got it for me actually was that I, I, in the first interview, which was with the guy who was Bill Hoey, who was the guy you didn't want to get, I found out later. He was Ah, the monster interviewer. Yeah. So I got him, screwed the whole thing up. There was this awkward silence while he was writing notes. And I said to him, can I ask you a question? Because I was thinking, I just need to get out of here with my dignity and let him get me out, you know, get him out of here as well. And so I said, um, can I ask you a question? He went, uh, yeah. And I said, do you think it's better to go straight into journalism or to go and do a, you know, do university and then get into journalism? 
So I was just giving him a way to say, you know what, you're right, you should come back in three years, get out of my office. But actually, I, he almost laughed. So I think that was the turning point because I think part of actually being a journalist is is not breaking down when things are going wrongly or if someone's having a go at you. It's, it can be a tough job in terms of the interviewing side of it and the, actually I was never really into being a confrontational journal and I'm still not. But, you know, it's, it's that thinking on your feet is as important as being a writer, it turns out. So I think that's kind of how I snuck in somehow. Oh. And then, yeah, then I loved writing. I've always loved writing. I always wanted to be a novelist and I've been lucky enough to have five novels published and, you know, I loved writing for newspapers. Yeah. So, yeah, I've been so blessed. Did you like writing for sport? Yeah, yeah, I did. Because like I said, I, I did some police rounds and I did some local government and other fun rounds. Um, police rounds was amazing and exciting and actually has has very much um, influenced my novel that I put out a couple of years ago, which was a, a crime novel. And a lot of that was based on memories from 30 years ago when I was 20 and covering police rounds, 2am um, rounds. So yeah, I, but sport was great. Sport you can really write and you can crack jokes and you, I always, I always saw sport as entertainment. So I figure that people turn to the back of the paper as it was then or go to the sports, the same now on the web. Um, you know, people go there for entertainment. It's not their real world. It's usually escapism. They've usually got all sorts of things going on in their real world, which is why people get so crazy passionate at the football or get so into barracking for Roger Federer or whatever. It's an, it's an escape. So I always wrote it like that. I always, played and cracked jokes and just didn't take it too seriously. Yeah, which I think was probably the key to success. And I just want to go back to your time at the Herald. The title of your job was Copy Boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you know what? I have a weird bit of history there. I was yeah. the last kid to run hard copy at the Herald before the computers stepped in. So I was the last kid that they would actually type on a typewriter and rip out the bit of copy paper and do three copies and I'd have to run them to like the chief of staff, the news editor. Oh, and is that I was going to so ask you? That's so what a copy boy was, yeah. Wow. He would run the, or she, he or she, um, copy person, thank yes, you, yes, copy um, person. Would, would run the copy to the people and then once it had been subbed by pen um, with all the old marks and everything, which is just prehistoric now, you would actually run it to the chute and put it up the chute, which was this air vacuum chute, like whoo, you'd almost lose your hand as it went up to the comps and they'd uh, do it. It was great. I was so lucky I saw it. In fact, when I first arrived at the Herald as a uh, copy boy, a guy called Jim Lawrence, who was the deputy editor, one day he just turned up at my desk and said, Nicholas, could you come with me, please? And I thought I was sacked. I'd yeah. been there about three weeks or a month or something, and here's the deputy editor, you know, an authoritarian figure who I'd never crossed paths with. Or, and he was at my desk saying, come with me. So I was like, well, that's it. I'm done. I don't know what I've done wrong. And he took me up the stairs to the comps room where all the guys were wearing those old Dick Potter newspaper hats and yeah. actually moving hard text around and building the page, which is what used to happen before what now, the whole system now, which is just negative imaging and all this sort of stuff, all computerised. And he just stood there and I stood there and he just said to me, just have a look at this because it's about to go. And I totally got it. It was really lovely. And we just stood there, the two of us together, this 17-year-old kid and this you know veteran news guy. And we just watched this happen, and he was right, within six months or so, it was gone, and it was all just computer, low hum, bzzz, paper comes out. So I really loved him for that. And I think, you know, he, he, I think that's why I got the job. They obviously knew I had ink in my veins, even though I didn't, and I got it. I totally got it. Speaking of ink, one of the phrases I like is think with ink, and it's been proven, neuroscience has proven not too long ago, that we actually retain information if we write it as opposed to type it. So do you 
do you still handwrite things or have you actually migrated to typing things or do you uh, mix it up? For, yeah, for your writing. Oh, no, I type everything, yeah. I mean, I write notes still in short, in pigeon yeah. shorthand and yeah. when I do an interview, I'm still scrawling notes. Oh, of course, because you were taught to yeah, write shorthand. Yeah, yeah, Which, which is, is pretty is scratchy now, but I can still sort still of do, do it. it. So, you know, yesterday I did three interviews and I was, everyone was like, what the hell is that that you're, you know, and I'm like, it's shorthand, it's this thing. Um, so, yeah, but I, I write all my articles and everything I type because I muck around a lot. I, I do a lot of drafts. I, I, it doesn't just, it's very rare that it comes out first time, whack, ready to go. Well, when I introduced you as an adventurer in multimedia, you certainly are. We're going to sort of get stuck into a few of the different things that, that you, you do. But I, I sort of thought it was uh, ironic in a way from Copyboy, and it's not called Copy anymore. It's now called Content, which mm. is the, the title of today's show. So in your view, why is content getting so much attention now than it, than it used to be? Well, you know what, I'm, I'm actually a bit sceptical about this. I think I'm actually a bit of an outlier on this front because I'm not convinced that it is as important. I think it absolutely is important. Don't get me wrong. I think content is the most essential thing. But everyone talks about it. But I, I actually, with a business partner, Michael Roberts, we set up Media Giants 20 years ago or 18, 19 years ago yeah. as Australia's first e-content company. I was actually working at The Age Online in the really embryonic days of that back in about 96, 97. And I, it's funny, when I... The one thing that I think has been really lucky for me is that I saw the net. I went to join the Age Online back then when it was really sticky taping the paper up online and I kind of got my head around the internet, but I sort of saw it as it is now, not as it was then. I, it was like, I'm, I'm a TV baby. My mum and dad met at the start of HSV7 in 1956, so if Channel 7 didn't exist, I don't exist. So um, <laughs> I've sort of always been involved in TV at different levels and, and then there's the whole print thing and... I guess I just sort of saw the net, you know, where, wow, this thing's going to be incredible once, you know, this is back in 56K modems and stuff. So I just had this vision of like one day there'll be video and it'll be interactive and there'll be newspaper with all the pictures will move and I just saw it. So we set up econ we set up Media Giants as an e-content company in 1998 because I was like, no one's taking this seriously, including Fairfax. I was working at Fairfax and I kept saying, I just don't get the business model and they wanted massive business plans for everything we wanted to do. And I was like, we just have to get people in the water, you know, so that we can um, sell them what we do. But the point of all this is that, you know, in 20 years, we, we've we've had regular clients and we've, we've done great work and it's been good. But, you know, the number of people who are actually willing to pay commercial money for content is very small. The number of businesses that will do that, who get it, they still, I think, even now think that, ah, oh, the kid in marketing sort of intern can write the website. So I'm actually very dubious about the content is king. Not, not many people will invest in content and people will come up with a massive business plan for a website where content is a very small part of it and certainly ongoing content, like as in that's the thing with a website, right, whether it's a blog or whether it's a major site, you have to keep feeding the beast. It's not like a book, you know, where you write it and it's done and it's on the shelf. You have to keep doing it every day or, you know, more than once a day. And very few people are willing to invest in that. So I'm I'm sceptical. I, I don't reckon most people will invest in content to the level that you need to invest in content for it to work. Well, we do know one thing is you're a wonderful storyteller and uh, we do have to take a break, but we, you're going to hang around for the rest of the show. You're my special co-host today. And we're going to come back with two other guests today who are also content authorities. I don't know if the word expert is appropriate because it's changing so quickly, but one's a content coach and the other one has written a book, about how to write a book. It's a bit like the Seinfeld coffee table 
book about coffee tables. <laughs> the but shape I, of a book. Too. Yeah, well, it, I've actually read most of it, and it's uh, it's really fantastic. But they're both published authors as well. I'm surrounded or flanked by uh, writing royalty today. Uh, you're listening to Taking Care of Business exclusively here on Audible PFM. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. We're talking about is content king, and I have an audience today with uh, three very successful published authors who have every day written a book almost. That was Elvis Costello. I do like that song. I haven't heard that for quite a while. Uh, we have Nick Place with us here, who's the adventurer in multimedia. That's not a bad title, Nick, is it? No, that's good. That's yeah. good. Business card. Well, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, an, an online one at least. Uh, our next guest is a content manager, editor and publisher. But her latest venture is turning entrepreneurs into authors. She has written a book about how to write a book. It's called Book Blueprint. I have it here. I haven't quite finished it yet, but it, I'm really enjoying the read. And uh, I'd like to welcome someone whose name I'm not going to forget. She's another Jackie. Jackie Pretty, welcome to Taking Care of Business. Thank you for having me. Good to have you here. Now, why did you write a book about writing a book? I wrote the book because I started my publishing company, Grammar Factory, a few years ago as a freelance editor on the side of my corporate job. And I kept working with these entrepreneurs who weren't writers, so they were naturopaths and life coaches and tantric meditation practitioners. And they weren't experienced writers, but they wanted to experience all of the benefits that come with becoming a published author. And this meant they would get really enthusiastic and they would write a whole lot of words and then send me a big word document that was a mess. And I would cut half of the content and move everything around and tell them they had to add a lot more to turn it into a real book. And I kept seeing the same mistakes again and again. So I actually wrote this book to help them address all of those mistakes before they started writing so that hopefully they could have a less traumatic editing and publishing process. Yeah, I've heard that uh, having a book or being a published author... It's like a business card on steroids. That Absolutely. Yeah. Do, you, do you agree with that? I do, but with some caveats. Yeah, like what? So it needs to be the right book. A lot of people think any book will do, but it does need to be something that addresses your target reader's needs. It needs to be something that clearly links to your business, so there's a clear next step for your readers. It also needs to be leveraged really well. What a lot of entrepreneurs do is they get so focused on writing the book itself that they don't think about what happens next. And that leaves you in the position where you have 5,000 books in boxes in your garage going moldy, which no one wants. So you need to have the right idea. You need to produce it really well because it is a representation of your business. And then you need to have a plan for how you're going to leverage it to bring in more clients. Yeah, I liked the dedication, actually. I always read the dedication books. I don't know if anyone else does, but I always like to read the dedication. And it's one of the very few books, and I get to read a lot of books, particularly business books, it's one of the few books that was dedicated to your clients. So I thought that was lovely. I just wanted to acknowledge that. You also said in your book that you've got a chapter there called Think Content is King with a question mark. Think again. Now, our esteemed uh, adventurer over here, Nick Place, is a bit sceptical about whether content is king. You also have a big question mark. Why is that? In There are two ways to answer that question. So in the context of the book, the point I was making that Content is important, but it needs to be structured well. You can't just 
do a ramble and hope it will achieve results. It needs to be written in a compelling way. It needs to be coherent so that your readers are going to get the value they want because if they get more value from your content, then they're more likely to hopefully sign up to be a higher-paying client. Mm. Um, if we think about what Nick was saying earlier when it comes to the online space and how there are a lot of companies potentially not investing in content as they should. I think content can be king. It's a great way to build a relationship with potential customers without the potential customers having to invest in a high-level package with you. However, there's also a, a phenomenon at the moment called digital landfill, which is just lots of people creating more and more content and no one ever sees it because there's so much out there. So I think content can be king if it's used well. But again, there does need to be a strategy. And I think it also does need to be really good content. You don't want to contribute to that landfill. No, exactly. I've never heard that term. What is it? Digital landfill? Yeah, digital landfill. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a recent one for me. I heard it a couple of months ago and decided I'm going to use that from now on. Well, you, you can add it to your repertoire. <laughs> well, <laughs> creator of digital landfill. <laughs> <laughs> That's could. a less impressive business card. Yeah, no, but it'd certainly be attention-seeking. <laughs> Uh, and uh, so we're going to ask our coach. We've got a content coach. She's our third guest today, uh, and she's also a storyteller. So how, what a great show to have a room full or studio full of storytellers. Makes it my job very easy. I'd like to welcome Jo Johnson to Taking Care of Business. Hi, Jo. Hi, Jackie. Thanks for having me. Good to have you here. Now, is content king in your world? What's your view? We've had um, Jackie Pretty's view. And we've had Nick Place's view on content. What's your view? Yeah, look, I, um, I definitely believe that, um, solo entrepreneurs or small business owners need to be producing valuable content for their clients. Um, that, that's actually relevant to them, not just content for content's sake. And I think this goes back to that digital landfill, uh, comment. Um, Online, particularly Facebook, our news feeds are so busy that everybody is trying to make it to the top and be seen. And uh, a lot of people think the only way to do that is to just keep producing, keep producing, keep producing. Um, I'm really sceptical about that too. And I really think that the, the best content and the most kingly sort of content is that which uh, tells or, or teaches something. It spreads a message and it does so in your own unique language so that people really know what you stand for and who you're trying to attract and why. Yeah. Now, your book, I have to mention your book as well, Stories Sell, How to Use Yours to Explode Your Business. Uh, now, unfortunately, I haven't read it because you only gave me a copy today, but I will, I promise. I'm looking forward to it. But I do know someone who is reading it now and is enjoying it very much. And uh, you said in there that you can teach people how to write better. How do you do that? I really think that it doesn't come down to grammar and syntax and all those sorts of technical things. You do need to know some of that um, before you can break the rules around that. But what I really like to teach my clients um, and my readers is to be comfortable with the voice that you already have. So this elusive writer's voice that people are trying to chase is not something that you try on like a, a, a new hat. It really is um, a, your own voice your speaking voice, and when you learn to trust that, then you're able to write like that. So I'm a huge believer that you should, for business purposes, not when you're writing fiction, mm. but for business purposes, you should write the way that you speak because if I meet you offline, 
once I've been stalking you online for 18 months and reading all your stuff, I want some congruency. I want to know that you are that same person. Yeah. Yeah. So the, you know, a confused mind always says no. So I don't want to be reading your stuff, looking at your videos and then come to actually do business with you and feel confused about who you are and what you stand for. And the best way to eradicate that is to simply write the way that you speak. I suppose that's in non-fiction world, but in the fiction world that's a different uh, kettle of fish. Do you do much non-fiction, Nick? Uh, I've done a little bit, yeah. We did a book on 50 Years of Australian TV and a few other non-fiction books. I sort of tend to still do it, though. Like, I'm on the same. I completely agree. I think writing in your own voice is good. Um, I think I have a more formal writing style when I'm writing for clients and things like that, you know. I try not to get in the way of the person I'm interviewing. Mm -hmm. I really try to... When I'm doing interviews or if I'm writing, um, I wrote a book actually for a guy, an entrepreneur who wanted me to write his book and I ghost wrote that. So yeah, the challenge was writing it in his voice, not in mine. I didn't want it to read like a Nick Place book. I wanted it to be his book. Um, so, you know, I think that is the challenge. Was that difficult? Oh, really difficult. Yeah, I could imagine that'd be really difficult. Yeah, really hard. And um, how, did, how did you do it? Oh, I just really sweated blood, really, to make it happen. <laughs> Did you feel a bit schizophrenic? The other thing too is that it occurred to me, well, it took me a long time and it was really hard work and I actually in the end started resenting it because I thought I'd, if I'm going to spend this much time on a book, I'd rather be writing one of my novels, yeah. So, which wasn't his fault, um, but that was just, you know, it was an interesting thing for me. I've never done it again because I thought, you know, it's so hard to write a book, like it just is so much work to write 100,000 words or whatever a novel is and I thought, yeah, I don't, wanna, I don't actually want to tell someone else's story, I want to tell my stories. Yeah, it's one of the reasons actually that I changed the business that I run. Six years ago, I started a copywriting business, having come out of 15 odd years in the online digital marketing space. And I thought people wanted people to write for them. And that's why I started up the business in copywriting. But very quickly, I found it so challenging to write in other people's voices when I was writing sort of lengthy pieces of, of content for them. So an ebook or something like that. And it, it used to take a lot of hard work to really get inside someone's head and to be able to speak and to write the way that, that they needed to, you know, that their people needed to hear from them. So it's why I shifted up my business in the end. And I do a small amount of copywriting now, but I much prefer to teach people how to do it themselves because they are the best, best author of their own voice. Yeah, it's interesting talking about doing it themselves. Entrepreneurs notoriously do like the bright, shiny objects because that's what makes them entrepreneurs. Uh, and they're notoriously also not great at implementation. So, Jackie Pretty, your book that you've written for entrepreneurs do you find that there's a disconnect between the idea versus the implementation? The implementation I'm actually meaning is actually sitting down and writing the book, actually doing it. It depends on the entrepreneur. I mean, mm. I suppose I'm lucky that I work with the people who are actually implementing because by the time they come to me, they usually have a book that they're ready to publish. What I've found is that if you have one realistic expectations up front, so you don't think oh, I'm going to go away for a weekend and just talk in my phone for 12 hours and a book will come out of it. You think, okay, I'm going to do this plan and I'll have a really clear idea and a clear structure and I know that I'm going to have to set aside, say, 30 minutes a day or an hour a day for the next month or two. When you've got those expectations up front, it's far more likely that you'll implement than if you think it's going to be really easy. Yeah, we hope you're enjoying listening to this fascinating or eavesdropping this fascinating conversation. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, You're listening to Taking Care of Business. We'll be right back after this short break. 
Join us at the Pig and Whistle for a quick bite for lunch while you look over the expansive peninsula views from our serene beer gardens. Or dine with us at night in our nostalgic British tavern where you can enjoy a wine or a craft beer while listening to intimate live music. Available for corporate, cocktails, and wedding functions. Cellar door, wine tours, and holiday specials. The Pig and Whistle Tavern, 365 Perves Road, Main Ridge. For bookings, email bookings at thepigandwhistle.com.au. A station sponsor. The Frankston Arts Centre is a unique premier arts and performance venue, providing cultural experiences for visitors looking to enjoy theatre performances, live music, community programs, exhibitions and new media. Established in 1995, the Frankston Arts Centre is an inclusive venue, offering performances with live theatre captioning, disability access and much more. Local schools, theatre companies, arts groups and artists also use the facility regularly. The Frankston Arts Centre is committed to continuing to provide the community with the ultimate arts experiences the station sponsor news music sport podcasts interviews the arts, all day events, every day specials, live streams sponsors news music sport rwpv interviews the arts, events specials, live streams, your eyes and ears on the peninsula sport podcasts interviews and much more to access RPPV, visit our website rppv.com.au or download the RPP app. You're listening to Jackie Mitchell on RPPFM, taking care of business. Never seen you before, I guess. My God, you're beautiful. It's like the first time when we open the door for we got used to usual. Seed superficial, mm-hmm. stare over typical man. Mm-hmm. You dress up just a little, and I'm like, oh damn. So suddenly I'm in love with a stranger. I can't believe that she's mine. Now all I see is you, fresh eyes, fresh eyes. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. We are talking about Is Content King? And that was Fresh Eyes by Andy Grammer. And the reason I played that song, it, it made me realise how important a fresh pair of eyes is when reading something that you've written. So it's difficult when you've written it to then read it, you know, to, I suppose, edit yourself. Is that true or, or not? Is that just me? So you didn't just go with that because his name's Andy Grammer? <laughs> Because I think I'm on to you. Well, sort of, yeah. I did, I did. Thank you. Thank you for acknowledging that. Thank you. Yeah, I, I thought it was sort of funny. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> I did, yeah. So um, back to my question about fresh eyes. So when you write something, Nick Place, do you then re- read it and reread it? How many times do you reread it and do you then have to give it to a set of fresh eyes to give you some feedback or to um, edit it or look for typos, that sort of thing? Well, at the risk of sounding like old father time, I think after 30-something years, I kind of know if I've got it right or not, and I'll always get fresh eyes to mm. look at it. Um, I'll never put something up. Well, I do on, say, my personal ice hockey blog because it doesn't really matter. But if it's a client thing, absolutely, someone looks at it, and I always get fresh eyes to look at it. You, you will never spot everything yourself, no matter 
if you've read it. In fact, the more times you read it, the less likely you are to spot the things you should spot. So, yeah, I always read it a few times. I always step away from it and come back. Even if I think I've totally got it right, I'll step away, come back, um, have like, another read, then I'll show it to someone. Like when you step away, you're talking about overnight or a week or... Is there, is there, have you got a process? Well, with a novel, it can be months. With, okay. a, with a novel, it can be I, I actually will come back and read it like a fresh reader six months later. Mm. Um, I once threw out an entire novel because I came back and did that. And I had it, was, it ended up being it was a kid's book and it was about a 45,000-word manuscript and I had written about 40,000 words. And I actually went back and went page one, chapter one and started again, which almost killed me. But, you know, that fresh the fresh eyes, it was like, you know what, it's not good enough. So I started again. I've got an editor who says that, you know, the good writers doubt themselves and the good writers actually do feel like they need to get a second opinion and they, they're not sure. And um, so, I, you know, hopefully hopefully that includes me because I'm always insecure about whether I've hit the mark. Do you think, though, when you're planning to write something, particularly, say, a novel, because probably the most difficult thing to write, would that be yeah. close? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. not close. It's Everest it compared to the Dandenongs. Okay, all right, good. That's a, that's a good metaphor. I love, no offence to the Dandenongs. Yeah, no, I'm sure they're not offended. Do you do well, – how do you plan for that? So do you write a book plan or a content plan, or what's your process? Uh, it's evolved over the years. Like, I, God, there's a whole other 12 hours of that, but it's evolved, really. I mean, writing a detective novel – is a different equation to writing a kid's fantasy novel. If you're writing a detective novel, I think readers have an expectation that loose ends will be tied up, that things will, you know, if that happens in Chapter 3, then and if someone dies in Chapter 3, why did they walk into the book in Chapter 11? Mm. It's clearly a mistake in mm. a crime novel. So I always, I, writing crime novels, I feel much more I need to have it nailed down, I need to have that stuff locked away, but then still write with freedom. Whereas a kid's fantasy novel, you can have... Martians arrive stage left if you feel like it, so it's kind of fun. So, yeah, it just depends what you're writing, I think. Yeah, I just wanted to make a comment on that that fresh eyes piece. Definitely for novels or, or longer pieces of work, it's super important to have um, a third-party perspective um, because as you just get too close to the content, so you often miss things. Um, but what I really encourage um, a lot of my clients to do when they're writing shorter pieces, particularly if it's just a Facebook post or a five, 800-word blog, is to not get too freaked out about that, that third-party perspective because what happens is that they sabotage, sabotage themselves into obscurity and never publish anything. So you can, um, I mean, it takes practice to get to the point where you're comfortable with the fact that what you're writing is going to pretty well land. But, you know, if every time you wrote a Facebook post, you had to get someone to check it, you'd never publish a damn thing. <laughs> um, I agree 100% with what you just said, Joe. One of the things that I often find is when you get a second set of eyes, you do get feedback on how you can approach things differently. But when it's a smaller piece of content, is it really worth going and doing it again? If it's a 500-word blog post, is it worth going and rewriting it? Whereas if it's a book, like one of our clients did a book about transforming the pharmaceutical industry. And in his original draft, he only had a customer service formula. But when we were talking together, I discovered that he wanted to talk about leadership in the industry and giving back to the community and how the teams work together. So by getting a second set of eyes, we were able to turn his book into one that covered these four pillars of pharmacy rather than just this sliver of content that it would have been if he just stuck with this customer service formula. Uh, now, Jackie Pretty, you run the Grammar Factory. Yes. 
And there's a, an online, there's an app that I, I use. I don't know if you guys use it or if it's like, you know, you don't like it, but it's called Grammarly. Do you know Grammarly? And so when I, I've got it on my computer, so whether I'm writing an email, writing a, a social media post, writing a, any, any document, any writing I do on the computer, it, it, it automatically picks up not only spell checks for me, so rather than clicking on Microsoft, you know, spell check, which I do as well, but this pick goes, it, it picks up stuff as you go, but it picks up your grammar. And I make so many mistakes. I love it. Do you, do you know it? Oh, do I hate it. it. Do you hate it? <laughs> I thought you might. I tried it once because someone had asked oh, me see, about I some like sort of grammar it. check yeah. and it, it flickers and it, yeah, it drove me wild. Yeah, but you don't um, need it. I, I guess I didn't need you it. You don't need it. So for, for me, that who's not a writer, you know, not a professional writer like you guys are, I love it. It just keeps me in check. In, with my, uh, last book, Roll With It, I actually had a massive fight with the editor and the publisher because I kept jumping from present tense to past tense through the book and it was just driving them insane. Yeah. And um, and I eventually we sort of had to, when I say fight, it was all respectful yeah, and friendly, yeah, yeah. but I had to say to them, listen, I understand the difference between tenses. I do get there's present tense and past tense. Yeah. But I'm deliberately doing it where when you're reading the book, if bullets start flying around and I go to present tense, you don't know who that bullet's going to hit. You don't know what's going to happen. Whereas at other times it can be in past tense because it's just the book's flowing along. So it was a huge battle and I finally won it. They finally went, you know what, it's just wrong. We hate it. All the other editors are going to think that we're idiots who didn't pick it up, but we'll back your, you feel so passionate about it. And it was cool. In the end, they actually said, you know what, it, we get it now. It really kind of does work as this cinematic thing within yeah. the book. But that was a funny kind of weird grammar thing that, you know, Grammarly would have been, uh, Grammarly would have been pinging a, a lot. Yeah, but then with Grammarly, I'll look at it and what it does is just checks me. Sometimes I go, mm. no, no, I, don't, I disagree with that. I'm not accepting that. But sometimes they'll pick up stuff. That, that I wouldn't have because oh, I yeah. get, you know, my brain goes faster than my fingers do. So I can always get caught with stuff like that. And it's funny that you say that because I hate Grammarly as well. Mm. Ben, <laughs> so you're, you're all purists, but I, I respect that. Well, the reason is for exactly what Nick said, though. Sometimes I choose to write in a certain way and it doesn't like it. And so it stops me from writing, even though I've intentionally chosen a certain tone of voice. Yeah, but you guys know know what you're doing. But those that, yeah, look, I, I find it useful. So those listening who are maybe not so confident with their writing, that's what we're talking about, Joe. was yes. about confidence, wasn't it? I, I, I completely agree with that. If you're not a professional writer mm. and you're thinking 500 words for a blog or for a Facebook post or whatever it is is really challenging, absolutely use Grammarly. If that takes that worry out of it, yeah. it's not going to read badly. Use it. That's a great tool. Yeah. So then worry about what you're trying to say, not have I said it in the correct order. Talking about worrying and confidence, I think that's something I just want to quickly touch on because that's a huge area for most people who aren't professional writers. Who, uh, and you think, oh, how am I going to write that? And, and, I, and I hear in the business world, I'm talking to people saying, oh, I've got to write a blog and I can't quite get motivated and I'm not that great a writer and everyone's telling me I need to write a blog. And, and I think they're approaching it like they've got to write a novel, but to them it's like the Everest. It's not the Danny Nongs, you know. It's a big deal for them. Uh, but I suppose it's understanding the different forms of writing. So writing a blog is different from writing a, a, a book or writing an article. How do you approach that, Joe? How do you deal with that confidence crisis? Yes, it's an interesting one. And it is all those things you just said are exactly what I hear in my studio every single day mm. and every time I go to a networking event. Um, the self-doubt is the biggest killer of creativity. Mm. Sylvia Plath said that 
dozens of years ago. And it's absolutely true. The really big killer for this for content production is just doubting that you know enough. Now, when you set yourself up in a business as a naturopath or a physio or whatever you do, that says to me that you know enough, right? You're running a business in your chosen profession. So if you are running a business in that space, you should know enough about it to talk about it. So the confidence is not really around knowing enough. It's just about how to put it together and believing that people want to hear that information. The other piece that I've found can really help with confidence is getting that feedback to go back to the idea of editing or getting a second set of eyes because quite often my editors and I, we work with people who do have the knowledge, they've been in business for X number of years, but they say, oh, but I'm not a writer or who am I to write a book or is my writing just terrible? I don't know what I'm doing. And what happens when we you know, edit it and pull it apart and put it back together and send it back to them, they go, oh my God, you made me sound awesome and it sounds like a real book now and I can do this. And if they hadn't have taken that leap to actually show it to someone, they never would have gotten to that point where they started to feel like they could do this. I'm trying to make another one too. I worked in live TV for quite a while. And, you know, we used to deliberately have a saying, which is like, it, it ain't, you know, brain surgery. No one lives or dies. If you screw up live TV, you screw up a fraction of a second of Australian live TV, which disappears into the other. And, you know, I think that you can take a lot of the seriousness out of it. You know, a blog post especially. I mean, if you write a book... And if, if you had misspelt the word book throughout book blueprint, that would be a problem <laughs> because it's now in print and you have to actually pulp all these books and reprint, which is a big problem. You know, if I did the same thing on a blog post, well, I can just go in and edit it and it's fixed in two minutes. So I guess with what you're talking about, Joe, I would say, you know, yeah, for people, just relax. It's, it's a bit of content. It's not, it's not rocket surgery. You know, just relax. Absolutely. Now, the, uh, the million-dollar question and the focus on the term million-dollar, do you actually make money out of writing a book or is it just the business card on steroids? Jackie Pretty, what do you think? No one makes money out of writing a book. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's a, it's a marketing tool. Right. So the traditional publishing model is you write a book and hope to sell lots of them and hopefully make a dollar or two off each copy, and if you sell enough, that will add up to something substantial. The model that my clients focus on is they write the book and then give it away to the right person who will hopefully turn into a five or ten or twenty-five thousand dollar client. Mm -hmm. It's a much better business model. Okay, Joe Johnson, what's yes. your view? Yes, I'm absolutely with Jackie on that. Um, I wrote my book for that exact reason. Um, obviously, I mean, I'm a content coach too, so I sort of felt like I needed a big piece of content. <laughs> um, no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. Um, I did have a couple of, I still do have a couple of books in my head um, that have been hanging around for 20 years and haven't quite seen the light of day yet, but they will now because I'm, I myself am much more confident about getting it out there. But uh, back to the question, yes, my book I leverage all the time to get speaking gigs, to get clients. It, it lends credibility to what you do when you can say, here's the framework that I can take you through. Go read that for 20 bucks, 30 bucks, and then come back to me and let's talk and make it personal for you. Nick Place, do you make any money out of your books? <laughs> I write novels, man. What are you, nuts? <laughs> I worked out. My first book came out in 2003. I've had five books, five novels published and one still hopefully waiting to get published. Um, two of them internationally. One got picked up by, um, or yeah, one got optioned 
by Ardman or was almost optioned by Ardman to make like the guys who Wallace and Gromit and one got optioned by Matchbox Pictures, which all sounds great. And I worked out recently that I couldn't have paid my mobile phone bill off the books in that time. Okay, so, everyone, let's be a novelist. Yeah, okay. So, let's be clear but about it. But I'm a storyteller, you know. I don't yeah, do it for that. Are. And the, the postcard that I got from a kid in Colorado who somehow had got hold of one of my books and then felt moved to actually draw this postcard and write to me and then track down my publisher in Sydney who finally got the thing to me um, was, you know, that... That's what you do it for. I mean, if you make money, fantastic. I mean, I don't know, Andy Griffiths, Tim Winton. There's probably a handful of people in Australia who actually can make a living as a novelist or as yeah. a, a, you know, fiction creator, but not many. So, and I think it's changing. I mean, I'm looking, I now have the rights back to all my books because they're all out of print. The other thing with novels now is that they, they turn up on a shelf and three months later they're gone if they're not selling. So, you know, the other thing is you kind of get the rights back after a while. So I'm, I'm thinking now, well, okay. Can I turn them into ebooks? Can I turn them into audiobooks? Can I do new things with those books? Yeah. So who knows? It's exciting. You're listening smarter, not harder here on Taking Care of Business. We'll be right back to finish this wonderful story that we're telling on our show today about whether content is king. And uh, I hope you can hang around. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. A sign of the times in business certainly is of talking about content and whether it's king or not. And we've tried to explore that many different angles about it today. And I have here, I have an audience with um, writing royalty in my eyes anyway. I have joined ably here by Nick Place, Jackie Pretty and Joe Johnson. And Nick Place, your little adventure, because you're an adventurer in multimedia and, I, and you've, there's so many different things that you're doing. And just before the break, we're talking about you don't make money from writing, but I do, <laughs> I do like and I had to mention this. Because you are very amusing and you, you, you do make me laugh. Uh, you said that you've done all these, the books and the films and all sorts of things, but none of which have made you J.K. Rowling rich. Damn it. Yeah, that's, that's pretty true. I stand by that comment. It's true. But you also wrote a comedy, comedy musical pantomime involving footballers Lisa McEwen and Eric Banner. I did. Now, tell me a little bit about that because I just have to quickly ask you. Yeah, it was called Footy Castaways and it ran at the last laugh and it was very bizarre. It was actually an amazing moment for me. It was the, um, this is when Eric Banner was back in fast forward kind of Peter, Eric Banner days. Peter? Yeah, he was yeah, that. And yeah. Lisa McCoon was on Blue Heelers and, oh, yeah. um, we were doing a footy show for Channel 7, which is how we knew them. So it kind of all came together. But it was an amazing moment actually being in the back of a room and hearing the first joke I'd written land on stage oh. and hearing a live audience laugh. That was, that was one of the highlights of my entire career. That was just an amazing moment. And now it's kind of funny to think Eric Banner was sitting there <laughs> reading this stuff, given he, he kind of kicked on. Yeah, he did, just a little bit. Mm. Uh, how do you handle criticism? Uh, I guess I look at whether it's justified. I guess especially with the novels, it's very hard to take criticism because you care so deeply and you put mm. so much into them. But, you know, I guess you just have to suck it up and go, well, is it is it justified? You are too close by the time you finish a novel, which is why you need fresh eyes and editors and things. I don't know. I think I just try to be humble and just admit that I'm not the world's greatest writer and I'll probably make mistakes and people will point out if I make mistakes. They're usually right. Yeah, what's well, important for, I suppose, continuous improvement, isn't it? Now, we talked a little bit about uh, your passions and different passions, and you, I know you touched on ice hockey, was it ice hockey? Yeah, yeah, I play ice hockey. Yeah. But this is, this is actually, this is the thing that I've discovered lately. I guess, I don't know if it's because I'm 52, but I've worked out that I actually, I, I write better and I work better with clients and my whole professional world goes better when I care. And that actually I've tried writing, no offence to 
well, you know, I've tried writing a whole bunch of corporate stuff that I really am not engaged in, and I don't think I'm very good at it. There's the criticism. I'm self-critical. Yeah. I don't think I'm very good at it. What I've worked out is that if I write with purpose and if I write about people who are doing great work in the world, I find it very easy to pitch for that work because people believe that I care, and I find it really beautiful to write. So that's what I've been doing. I've just said I've actually breaking a lot of my own rules at the moment because I've just set up a, a digital landfill potential uh, project <laughs> called giantsamongmen.com.au and it's the first time I've sort of launched something like that where I have no money behind me, I have no real business plan, I just feel like it's important. So it's tell a, us a little bit about it. I'll be really quick because I know we're out of time. It's, yeah, it's, it's aimed at 45 to 60-year-old men. The idea of it is that, you know, you should be a leader in the world at that age. You've been around a few blocks. You should know how the world works. And if you're in some sort of decent shape, you know, you should try to be a force for good in the world. Also, you have a lot of years ahead. You can have a lot of adventures. I took up ice hockey at 45, having never stood on skates, and I now play competitive ice hockey. You can do it. You know, you've got a lot of years ahead to really do amazing things. Yeah, the flip side of the side, of course, is that it's a very fraught time for a lot of guys, and there's a lot of things happening that in those tram lines, relationships ending, parents dying, kids, all sorts of stuff. So, you know, the site's going to hopefully deal with them as well. I'd like the site to save lives, but I'd also like it to, when guys go, hey, other people have been through what I'm going through and come through it, but I also want it to be pretty fun and inspiring where guys go, you know what, I am going to try that. Anything that you're involved with, Nick Place, is always good fun. We've well, it usually doesn't make money, but, you know, we'll uh, see what happens. Yeah. We'll see if it can fly. You're at least entertaining, at the very <laughs> least. Uh, we've actually put a link to our Facebook page, Taking Care of Business Facebook page, to your oh, uh, your website. So, uh, no, it, it, it's certainly worth a read for those that haven't read it yet. And just quickly, uh, to thank you very much for coming into the studio today. Oh, it's been you, a pleasure. It's, it's been, been a, really lovely. It's been good fun. Great discussion. Have you got a favourite author? Uh, you know, with what we've been talking about today, I would have to go with William Goldman, who wrote Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, The Princess Bride, all that stuff. He wrote a fantastic book many years ago, it's quite dated now, called um, Adventures in the Screen Trade. And if you want to see someone land words on a page and just play with the reader, it's it's just a, an absolute masterclass in writing. Wonderful. Thank you very much. A, d- a delight as always. Jackie Pretty, it's been nice. I hadn't met you before and I'm really pleased I did. I'm enjoying your book. I'm about halfway through it. I enjoy finish, looking forward to finishing it. Uh, who's your favourite author? First, thank you for that. Um, and as far as favourite authors go, at the moment I really like V.E. Schwab, who's a fantasy writer who I discovered last year and immediately ordered everything she'd ever written and Yes, it's just the style of writing just picks you up and takes you away. And if I wrote fiction, that's how I'd want to write. Okay. And is there a um, philosophy or a pearl of wisdom you'd like to leave us with today? Something that sort of, you know, when you're, how you handle criticism or some advice for someone thinking about writing a book? I think just try to do things that you're proud of. And, you know, if someone gives you some criticism, Know that most of the time it's probably not about you. It has more to do with them. Um, That helps take some of the emotion out of it. If it is valid criticism and it can help make you better, then consider taking it on. But if you're doing your best to do the best work that you can, then I find that really helps fortify you against any criticism that might come your way. So any of those of you listening today who are thinking about writing a book and are not quite sure how to go about it, highly recommend a book, Blueprint, 
by uh, Jackie Pretty. Uh, we'll put a link to our Facebook page for that. And you're about to be published in the US, is that right? I am. In fact, that's an advanced copy, so it isn't Ooh. technically out yet. Oh, how exciting. Uh, it gets released on the 13th of June. It was picked up by Morgan James Publishing in New York last year. Awesome. Congratulations. Thank it's, you. Uh, it's, it's well deserved. It's a, it's a lovely, well, you, no pressure to write a book about writing a book. It has to be a good book, I suppose, <laughs> doesn't it? Uh, Joe Johnson, it, the content coach. Thank you for coming in. Finally got you into the studio. Good to have you here. Who's your favourite author? Um, many, many, many of them, but I'm rereading Rising Strong by Brené Brown at the moment. Um, we hold very similar philosophies around storytelling and how you really need to sit into um, what you know and where you've come from and why you're doing what you're doing because when you write from that place, you're going to be authentic, you're going to sound like you and you will have an unending source of inspiration. Yeah, I think it's good. You mentioned about storytelling and I just want to sort of pull up. We talked a lot today about writing but storytelling is also about verbal, like what we're doing today is listening to things as well and having that consistency. So if you're writing a blog or you're writing something on your website or writing something, you know, a, a report but about yourself or your brand, that when you talk about it, it needs to be consistent as well. So language is important and the style and tone is also important as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And look, really, you're the only one who can tell your story. Uh, be comfortable that it's yours, that it's great, that it may have had some ups and downs. But when you own it and when you trust your own voice, um, you know, you'll connect with the people you need to connect with. What a nice way to finish the show. Joe Johnson, Jackie Pretty, Nick Place, thank you again for a great show. We talked about whether content is king. Well, we're not quite sure who Queen is yet. Maybe context? don't know. I'm going to leave a question mark to that. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed today's show and learnt a lot, and we look forward to your company next Friday at 11am. In the meantime, keep taking care of your business.